Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to This Is Your Normal. I am your host, Bob Ohms. What new normals have you experienced this week? Did any of those make you mad? In this episode, we will discover how something that made our guest mad ended up affecting over 4,000 veterans and their families. Ken Leslie brings a 23-year history as CEO of a successful technology-based national executive search firm and a 27-year history of philanthropy, community leadership, and advocacy for the homeless. Having been homeless at one time himself, Ken's background also brings an inspiration to the homeless that he works with directly on the streets. This background also provides a deep understanding of the issues surrounding homelessness on the local and national level. Ken is always very honest about who he is, and I am so honored that he took the time to talk about his personal life and the organizations he's involved in. Thank you again for listening, and please enjoy this episode of This Is Your Normal. Hello, Ken. Ken Leslie, how are you today? Bobby, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I appreciate you taking some time out for me today so we could have a little conversation. I'm glad you were desperate for, for, for guests to be able to call me. Yes, yes. The desperation list is very strong. <laughs> yeah, that's when people call me when they're desperate. They have no budget. Hey, I'm the first one on the line. Yeah, you know, top three at least. <laughs> so uh, as we were talking and when I first got a hold of you, we've we've talked about and in my introduction, I talked about how this normal back to normal, you know, what's the new normal, all these things. It's a hot topic right now. Every, every day I go and I hear somebody bring that up and I realized, you know, my whole entire life, I've really never felt normal. I, I feel like I've had a, a struggle fitting in or um, maybe my parents didn't make enough money or, you know, I went to the wrong school or just mm-hmm. difficult right. life right. experiences just kind of made me f- feel like I didn't fit in. And I've, and I've laid all that out in the introduction. So if anybody hasn't listened to it, go back. It's only 11 minutes. Won't take up that much time. It's a good, it's entertaining. They got to listen to it. Yep. Um, but you're one of the first people I thought of um, not because I think you're extremely normal. It's because I feel like you've, you've embraced who you are. You present yourself very confident and you're comfortable uh, displaying yourself in a way that, you know, hey, I mean, I'm looking at you, the listener can't see you, but you have your uh, signature hat on, you have your blue glasses, got your ponytail, and that's, that's you, that's Ken Leslie. Yeah. I just want to know, you know, how are, how are things for you? Are things normal? Uh, where, where did this normal Ken Leslie, where did, where did it all start? By the way, I have to add, you even married a woman with the name Norma. Yeah. Very close to being normal. Yeah, it is. And, you know, she is the sweetest thing, and she really is the most normal thing and, and, and such a powerful uh, anchor in my life. You know, we've been married 12 years. We got married at Tent City. It was wonderful. Uh, and we haven't had a fight yet in 12 years. We have not had one argument, I swear. And, and you know, that's, it, it, we, it's a mutual respect thing. Um, and we, we just ex- have a great deal of acceptance in, in how each other are. 
Um, and she taught me that lesson, you know, early on. But but and, and as far as you know, my changing, and you talk about new normal, you're, 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 it's it's kind of like you're talking about three things. Uh, one is you know the normalcy that's being created as a new normal with the pandemic. You're also, the second topic, it felt like it was, uh, you're talking about personal development, personal insecurities, and how you feel and where you belong. And then the third level is, is how do you get to the point of sense of self, where it appears you're confident to others. It's <laughs> 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 the, the case here. So so is that right? Is that the three? A- three abs- absolutely. It, it, so this year, it just kind of all tied in together. And I just have this idea of, everybody I talk to says the word normal and and I just have this burning desire like what is this code word for something so so I will start with my wife because um, how we learn and how we develop and and, you know I'm uh, in recovery as as you know and there's uh there's a thing about accept the things you cannot change right Mm-hmm. And and having some 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 wisdom and knowing what you can and, and being able to tell them apart. And uh, my this is a great example. My wife, I grew up that when you get somewhere, you call and let us know that you got somewhere, right? I mean, that's just how it was. Um, and so my my wife uh, went to was going to Chicago to see her grandbaby, and she didn't call when she got there. So like now I'm freaking right. I'm calling her. She's not answering. What's going so, on? Like what? Yeah. You know, finally she did, and I was angry. You know, I've been worried. I was crazy. I'm calling hospitals. I mean, insane, right? And um, and and she said, yeah, yeah, I got there. Some saw saw my grandbaby, and just you know, we started hanging out right away, and and you know, giving that love to the kid, which I understood. And I said, well, next time, okay, please, okay. <laughs> So then it happened again. She left her phone in the car, and, and now I'm like, oh. And then the third time, um, bad snow day, level three. Uh, she had to get go to the go to work. Went to the hospital at the time for at a cancer center. Managed the cancer centers, and uh, drove. and And I had to shovel the driveway so she can get out. I mean, that bad of snow, and, and she down. And it was real slippery, and and I'm you know, doing the rest of the driveway, and I hear sirens and stuff. And she never called. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I'm, now I'm freaking, yeah. Wheels are spinning. I get my car and drive <laughs> over to the hospital and I go in and she's not in her office. Uh-oh. So now it's like worse. I'm checking hallways, you know, and looking around at her friend and she goes, oh yeah, yeah, she's working in that office over there. <laughs> so I went over there and there she is just busy working away. And, and what I learned was I'm not going to be able to change her. The reality is, I am trying to manage the exception rather than for the exception. So mm. what I what happens is uh, when people drive places out of the billions of times the average person does or whatever that number is, many people go their whole life without anything happening. That's the probability. Mm-hmm. So why am I upset and worried about the the almost impossibility, the, the rarity, the monkey out of the acid? So so that taught me except the things I cannot change, which is her change the things I can, which is me and my attitude towards it. So now I don't worry anymore because I know the probability is extreme that she's going to get there. So that level of acceptance in a reality is kind of what blends into the self-confidence thing too, is, is understanding the things you can change 
instead of trying to change somebody else, which is the impossible part, as we know. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I think, well, you, you've met my wife before, Jen. Uh, we yeah, are going yeah. on nine years in December. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You and I both married up like, uh, you know, for me, five flights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking the same thing. It must be their, their level of kindness must uh, things. Cause I, I ran into similar things. It was just like, I want to know what you're doing every single moment and all this, but she's a smart woman. She can handle her own. That's what attracted me to her. So she really, she's one, she's like Norma. I mean, she's one of the most beautiful spirits that, that we know. And, and, and I'm like, what the hell does she see in me? Right. Yeah. It's like that, <laughs> you know, because you're the fact that you're not calling when you got somewhere, it's, you're not trying to hurt me. It's just, right, you're yeah. so caught up in the moment and what you're doing when you arrive that calling your husband maybe be an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's her love is for her granddaughter naturally, right? That doesn't mean you know she doesn't like me or doesn't love me or anything like that. It has nothing to do with it. Right. And, She's and just think, living in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's. But you know, I mean, going back to the point of of I'm not going to change her. Let me think this out logically. That's stupid, Ken. Now, if if you know, yeah, no, I mean, different. If it was different behavior, then there would be a different solution. But it's not. It was based on what the behavior is. And being able to accept the truth and what's real is where the, the appearance of self-confidence comes in. And that was the, the, the second thing. I, I'm, I'm fearless in, in rigorous honesty. And, and, you know, I've got to be honest with myself. If I'm lying to myself. So I know when I mess up. I know when I'm doing wrong. And, I, you know, I know all those things. I really work hard to find out what the root of things are. You know, a lot of it goes back to our childhood, which will be the third topic <laughs> Okay. <laughs> for the appearance of confidence. The reality is I'm not confident at all. Right. I'm just I'm just comfortable with the material. I'm confident in the material inside. I got insecurities. When I go in a room, the truth is, I think everybody hates me. Mm. I swear mm -hmm. to God, that's what I think. And, and I still do. But, you know, part of it is, you know, when you grow up being told you're a bad boy, you know, every day you, you believe you're a bad boy. So that's still in my bone marrow. You know, nobody's going to like me and blah, blah, blah. I really, truly do believe that whenever I go in a room. So it's an appearance of confidence, but I am confident in the material. So when I was a comedian, I was a comedian for eight years traveling the country. I did really well with it. And, and it wasn't that I was confident when I went on stage. I just knew the material was good. Mm. I've done that 10,000 times. Right. I know 9,999. 9,996 times they laughed and there are four times that were anomalies that they don't and when that happens okay right yeah so the confidence isn't uh in in myself which i'm not you know i'm not confident i know i could screw up at any moment i'm a recovering alcoholic yeah i just remembered two days ago i hit 30 years of recovery congratulations i could screw that up today right so right, so yeah. i'm not confident in myself I, I recognize how how um, uh, messed up I really am inside, and, and and I work to try to try to keep it on on the right path. I think that's important. Is uh, I guess I've never really thought about the difference where you're saying you're confident in the material, the content, versus having that self confidence of 
I guess I, that's something I'm working on. You know, that, that right. that's this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Right. And you'll find that a year from now, you're, you, you'll, you'll have it licked. So right now when people start something, we, we're just trying to find out how to do it right, right. Yeah. So it's unconscious incompetence. We don't even know what the hell we don't know. So it's no good. It's not it's no good. It's just you know, our educational level isn't there. And then you get to the point where it's it's conscious incompetence. So you know you're aware of what you're doing wrong now because you know how it's supposed to be. So you work on this. And then you get to the point of conscious competence where you, you know what you're doing and you're doing it right now for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then after, yeah, yeah, in the book, The Outliers, they, they talk about 10,000 hours. You do something for 10,000 hours, whatever you do in your life, then it becomes unconscious. So, so you're able to do it without thinking. So, you know, when I give my talks, I, I've done them so many times that I, there's certain parts of it where I'm saying the story, I can think about what I'm going to have for dinner because the unconscious competence understands it. I said it so many times mm-hmm. that I know it in my bone now. So those are the four levels. Right now you're starting out. It's a new, exciting thing. It's scary as hell because you have no idea what the hell you're doing. Yes. You know, I got you. Know, when people start podcasts, they're like, oh, shit, I got like three people following me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, I think I get more? my introduction uh, a few days afterwards, there were 16 downloads. And I'm like, who are these 16 people? Right. That's good. That's good. <laughs> but like, it's, you got 16 friends. Well, yeah, I guess. The, the great thing about that is I didn't even tell 16 friends about it. That, that is the great thing. That is. They downloaded it three times each. Three times each. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, no. I, I do have a question real quick. You kind of talked about what I'm perceiving as your norm was, uh, you know, if you're if you're told you're a bad boy your whole life, when you walk into a room, you're thinking you're a bad boy and everybody hates you. How right, do you right. keep yourself from talking yourself out of going into that room? Because I'm really good at talking myself out of a lot of things. I'm really good at talking myself out of it because there are a lot of times I don't go in the room for that very reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't go to something. I don't, you know, and, and, you know, that's part of the insanity. That's part of the things that, you know, I, I look at us as humans as wheels with spokes. And, you know, if you really work hard, you can get a, a lot of your spokes tight, but nobody ever gets all of their spokes tight. And it's those weak spo- uh, spokes that end up screwing us up. But, you know, how, how important are they in their ability to screw me up? Not me, not going to a thing, you know, a social event is what I'm talking about. You know, we're yeah. things I'm good with. You know, going in and give a talk, I'm good with. You know, going to a party, you know, or, or you know, a fundraiser, attending a fundraiser, not my fundraisers, because then I got to be, you know, the, the guy. And I'll differentiate the two, too, because, you know, I'm, I'm, in, in my nature, I, I'm like a, a hermit in a sense. Mm. I mean, I, I, I would, you know, this pandemic, me and my wife just hanging out doing nothing. That is cool. Yeah. I reduced my travel schedule all across the country 50%. Right. I mean, from it was 50% to zero. And, and it, I love it. And the difference is when I'm out doing this stuff, for those that, that don't know me, I'm, I've, I've been involved in, in the homeless and created a, a homeless veterans program which has caused me to be out front a lot. And, and we started here in Toledo. It's now housed 4,000 veterans nationwide. It's called because Veterans Matter. Veterans Matter. And because it's nationwide, I travel nationwide to 
meet different groups. And, and what I refer to that as going out and being Kenless. But when I'm home, I'm my wife, Norma's husband. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. That's the cool part is I enjoy more. I enjoy being with my wife mm-hmm. more than anything. I'm not able to do what I would do at this stage of my life if it wasn't for her. I do what I have to do because that's the mission to those we serve. But what I like in my heart is hanging out with my wife, working in the garden, doing you know that, that old people shit. <laughs> I think I think that one of the events that we've been to, uh, we originally met doing some uh, community outreach things, and uh, I believe you shared some of your salsa from your garden one time. Oh yeah, the hot stuff. Yeah, the hot yeah. stuff. Yep, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. That's when you uh, started to you know make your way into my heart and started falling. Yeah, in love. yeah, yeah. Ken, you're hot. Yeah. Um, for, we met through uh, his wife's engagement in this large thing, and then he got involved, and he then became a Bob became a big help in helping to organize and ran security and made sure people got help when they needed it and that kind of thing. There was an event called Exclaim, which is a large concert. They'd get, you know, a few thousand people there for uh, for Jesus music. And it was a beautiful event. And, and we were on the board of directors back then. So, so that's how we met in mm-hmm. fashion. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, as a, a sidebar, you know, for those who uh, might be lost and not sure what the normal is, you know, one of the things our group is called One Matters, and, and one of the points uh, is when you feel you matter to no one, just go matter to someone. Mm. And it could be like uh, shoveling some old lady down the streets, drive away and her not knowing, or you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, so by giving like that, you get outside of yourself. And, and what, one of the coolest things is you meet the coolest people because they too care enough to be able to go do shit outside of themselves which mm-hmm. you know when we meet at things like that like you and i did we know that we're engaged in something because we want to give ourselves greater than outside of us so it's really a cool where you automatically know that you're going to meet somebody and, and lock when they're involved with nonprofits. not all of them some of them are assholes <laughs> right uh you brought up the whole um so you have veterans matter and you have one matters right okay um i in reflection to prepare for this podcast i was thinking about one matters and i know this year so far we've seen a lot of one matters and we've seen a lot of the opposite boy i hate to i, I don't want to go down a political route uh just because well, <laughs> this, know, isn't, the, this yeah. isn't a time or place but i just yeah. What what would you like to say? You have an organization called One Matters. What would you like to say to the person who disagrees with you? Not everyone matters. Not that. I wouldn't say a damn thing. I mean, it's okay. Uh, you know, uh, my job is not to convert the unconverted. It's to rally the converted. All the people that care about the homeless are the people that join up with us. I'm not going to waste a second trying to convince mm-hmm. somebody not to. And And the other thing is, as far as this whole political thing goes... Uh, it's just accept the things you cannot change. And I cannot change anybody's thinking. And if you look at all of the conflict that's going on right now and Facebook and everything else, it's because people are trying to, to convert each Mm. other and, and trying to change each other, which is an impossibility. I mean, you know, 
for fun sometimes I'll throw a hand grenade, a, a hand grenade into Facebook just to watch them. You know, both yeah. sides go insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Right, especially it's if you, if, especially if you play both sides, then then you really can confuse people and create chaos. Like, whoa. Well, whoa. you know, if you if you really look at it, for me, um, I I don't express my personal opinions at all, because no matter which side I'm on, my veterans will lose half of their donors. Mm-hmm. You know, our board, our organization has a former advisor in the Bush White House and a liberal rock and roll publicist, right? Our board has, uh, 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 we've had help from Katy Perry, who, who was on the left, and Kid Rock on the right. The homeless veterans is that one cause that can bring people together. So if I had, if I thought my opinion was, was you know, why, it means nothing. It, it, it doesn't. Everybody has their own. So in the grand scope of thing, it's mine. I'm not going to convince you of, of having something else. So I try to measure what I do. Um, at this stage, based on what's best for the people that I'm serving. Mm. So what's best for the veterans that I'm trying to help get housed. And me taking a political side is not one of those. So, so what, what each side doesn't do is accept the things you cannot change and have the faith that whatever, whatever is right, that we'll find that justice, whatever it is. But we can't do it. I gotcha. I, I, I like it. You're not here to convert. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when since was the we, last time a Facebook post changed somebody's complete political persuasion. Never, never. But it's it's attempted millions of times a day. Uh, yes. Since we're on the topic of Veterans Matter, how did you? I I want to po- point this out because at some point in time you realized something wasn't normal and something needed to be done. So I feel like this is a great example of this this sense of normalcy and uh, you had some sort of gauge or a, a meter system that, you know, an alarm started going off and you said something needs to be done. So can you kind of lead us into uh, the beginning stages and, and how this all kind of became about? Absolutely. It's really simple. If anybody's trying to find out what they're called to do is find out what you're most pissed off about. What mm. cause pisses you off the most? If it's dogs, if it's the environment, whatever it is, if it pisses you off, that's what you're being called to do because you have that feeling against it. There's a million causes out there, right? Most of them, we don't give a shit enough to get upset about. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear about the environment, oh, okay, it's the environment, whatever it is, I'm just using it as an example. Right. Um, other people, and that same person cares shit about dogs, right? Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. So we're all called to something. And, and if you honor uh, what you feel called to do, you'll find an inner peace and inner happiness. Um, I, I, I'm spiritual. I believe in God. I think God is the higher power. I believe God's too big for any one religion. Um, and I, you know, I, I got that philosophy off of a stripper's bumper sticker, uh, which is where God, you know, and not like I get all my philosophy from stripper's bumper stickers, but I, I you know, back in my crazy day when I was an alcoholic, I was going to one and uh, you know, the, the strippers pull in and they get the valet takes the car and that was on the back of her bumper sticker. And it resonated. God is too big for any one religion. Mm. And, and the, you know, so as you can see, I interspersed the little humor in, in there. But it's the reality, you know? You stripped um, it down for us. Yeah, I stripped it down. Good one, man. Air by five. Air five. Boom. <laughs> uh, but, but, but so that's part of my belief. And, and 
that higher power is 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 what I call God. You know, other people call nature, etc. In uh, AA, you learn that every you know a lot of people have different conscriptions, and it all works because there is the higher power. You know that because from the atom to the universe, man didn't do that shit. Because otherwise, it'd all be messed up now. People I'd be stars colliding, you know, we'd be gone. Man would have screwed that up. So there's got to be a higher power, period. And whatever that is, it is. So that said, I believe that God puts us through whatever we go through in order for us to be there for the people who go through what we went through. Mm-hmm. AA is a, a stunning example of that. People stay sober, not only because they quit drinking, but they're reminded of it because they continue to go to meetings to help the newcomer when they come in. So, so they went through what they went through, and, and, and now they're to be there, and they find peace and happiness in that itself, in being able to help someone else, most people. I mean, there's exceptions for everyone, but, mm-hmm. but if you look at the reality, most people are good. I, I believe that that good is born inside you. You come popping out with it, but you have to learn evil. You have to learn bad, and then it has to be acceptable in an environment in order to grow and foster. Um, and and the best example of that is 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 if you ever go out and do something for somebody else, expecting nothing in return, you know how do you feel? You feel pretty good. You know, great. It's like a warmth, and you feel it every single time. It's incontrovertible. Mm-hmm. If you have a thought that. Um, if you have the thought instead that, that, sorry, got distracted, got an email. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So, yeah. Uh, we're doing the zoom. I'm, I'm at work and, and I got a mean boss. So Ooh, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's been a lot nicer since I started sleeping with him. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> Those don't know I'm the boss. So, yeah. Right. Yes. You are the boss. Yeah. So, so uh, where was I? Uh, following a passion we're getting started on veterans matter so right something that pisses now, you off you, yes yes thank you very what much. was pissing you off ken so in the late 80s when i'm traveling around the country making people laugh i start seeing more and more people becoming homeless and i had been homeless a suicidal alcoholic and addict at one point in my life so to think that children were going through what i went through mm. something snapped i got pissed off about that and and we we're doing that and i, I was read that statistic when recording a comedy album. Okay. And it was on a break. And I said, guys, you know, the Mark Olson, Jim Biggins, I said, guys, we got to do something about this. And they said, great, let's, what, what can we do? And we didn't know, you know, we're not geniuses, but we're okay. Smart wise, right. Mm-hmm. Relatively intelligent. You handle your own. Out what, yeah. <laughs> so we figured other people couldn't. So our best idea was to, you know, next week we'll go and interview them and see what they need. Because you really go back to whenever you're creating something, you have to find out. So um, when you know, between the time I left the bar and went over to Roxanne's, which you know, if you're from Toledo, is a few miles down the road, this whole idea of this uh, homeless awareness project, Tenth City, came. Who would be involved, et cetera, et cetera. I went in the bar, and um, uh, my friend Lynn Casey was there, and I said I just had this idea, and spent ten minutes telling her all the details of the idea. And she said the most important words that changed my destiny. And those were, let's do it. Let's do it. And if you look at, at who's important in life, it's not the leader. It's the first follower mm. who actually makes that change. It's a great video. If you, you uh, Google on YouTube, uh, 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 first follower, it's a great video. It's a great video. I encourage anybody to, to go 
to go watch that, to understand the power that they have, because all of us have this power to be, to be leaders. So I got ticked off, started this 10th city, did this 10th city in November, and then I started having a battle within myself. Am I a good guy or a bad guy? Hmm. Really? What is it? I just did this really good thing, but I'm an alcoholic, and I know if I keep going, I'm going to mess it up. I have to. I mean, that's just how it works, right? So on December 5th, 1990, I decided, hey, you know, I, I had that classic on the ground, you know, God, you know, God, the devil, good or bad, evil thing. And, and I decided I was good and literally ran to AA mm. on December 5th, 1990. Mm. So once I quit drinking, you know, I started finishing shit, doing it well and, and becoming successful, whatever it was I was working hard at. Um, and I won an Emmy from some television work you know, the fact that I got pissed off is what started it and evolved the whole thing. So then in 94, I started a business uh, and grew that business, executive search from technology industry, and did, did fairly well at it and became a philanthropist, was able to fund and donate some uh, programs, homeless programs in Toledo. And then in 2007, John Mellencamp came to our little tent city. Thing. Hmm. And he was just passing through on his way to a sold out show. And he ended up staying over an hour. He and I bonded. And he invited all of the homeless at Tent City to a show. Amazing. 60 went. This is John Mellencamp. To John Mellencamp. Invited them. 60 went to his show. I stayed at Tent City because that was my place, right? I didn't mm -hmm. go to his show. Um, and come to find out that he was, that's what really was one of the, one of the things. And, and, but so one of them came back uh, after, after the show to Tent City and said, Ken, John talked to us on the stage. I guess I really do matter. Wow. And that's how onematters.org as an organization began. That evolution where I got pissed off about the homeless led to a sobriety, which led to this, which started uh, onematters.org. And, and we were local. We became regional. We funded street papers in Toledo, Ann Arbor, Detroit. And, and we were able to continue doing our 10th city, which, by the way, go, is still going on today, except for this year was, you know, the damn pandemic kind mm, of messed it all. Yeah. So, so One Matters kept going. And then in 2012, uh, one of the things our One Matters group does is we do blitzes with the VA. Sorry if this seems like a long way to get there. But, no, but I, the, I, well, I feel like all this is very important. So we have all the, we can, we can spend a lot of time on this if you want to. You know, and, uh, yeah, but the people out listening are going like, yeah, what the? Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> they can just download <laughs> this episode and listen to it yeah. later on. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they've probably already turned off. I mean, yeah. <laughs> quality and gas but, but so um uh, we're, uh oh so um our one matters team does blitzes with the va we've done it in three states where we'll go to the woods and abandoned buildings with them and they'll find veterans who are homeless we're able to go in places sometimes that the va can't go and and when we find homeless veterans we're able to bring them out to the street and the va has their laptops and we're able to get them engaged in the program before right really fast efficient really nice program and we were doing one here in toledo in 2012 with my friend sean dowling uh, with the VA, told me about this great program the VA had to house homeless veterans. I'm like, bullshit. You know, mm. it's so good. How come Freddie's not housed? Yeah. And she said uh, he he didn't have the deposit. I said, well, what? She said, yeah, 600 bucks. He's got a place, right? It's all ready. It's a long-term housing voucher, right? He, 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 and afterwards, he's going to get this case management. He just can't get in because of the 600 bucks. And I said, well, Sean, what do you do when they, they don't have the money? She goes, we have to take them around to the churches and VFWs and help them beg for it. Mm. And that pissed me off. Mm -hmm. 
to think that veterans had to beg for something after what they've given us. Mm-hmm. You know, so that night came up with this idea, veterans matter, we take care of our own, write the check straight to the landlord, real simple. Every dollar we deploy results in another veteran housed every single time in long-term permanent housing that has case management. So all they needed was the deposit. I send the check to the landlord, everything's fine. So the next morning, and this is, this is uh, you know, I, I mentioned God earlier, there were three points, uh, you know, good examples that I'll talk about today where they, he's intervened, but one was the founding of the tent city thing. Mm-hmm. The second evidence came after I created the idea of, of uh, Veterans Matter. The next morning, uh, um, I called one, you needed 26 grand to be able to help all 35 veterans. And uh, next morning, I called Barb Petey from Medica, the foundation, said, Barb, I need $26,250. And by the way, I need it, I need it fast because mm-hmm. there's veterans waiting. And foundations usually take a long ass time. But in this case, seven days later, Valentine's Day, I looked at it at 5.36 p.m. She called and said, here's your full file. Wow. Three days after that, we housed our first veteran. It was 11 days from idea to execution. It was a family out of the family shelter. And that, that felt really good. Wow. Um, so that's how it started. And then whenever the VA had uh, a veteran that needed to be housed, we had a, a fax referral form we had them send us. And then I sent the check straight to the landlord. Easy. Pretty simple. Yeah. Until I got pissed off again, because at the time there were 60,000 veterans mm-hmm. on the streets. And I tell people then they're like, oh, I didn't know that. So, you know, figure, hey, you know, I'll, I'll use the television background. I'll, I'll do some PSAs mm-hmm. and help people understand there's 60,000 because I think once they know, they're going to want to help. They're veterans in their, their area. And we were just a little local problem. So, you know, there was no idea that they, you know, we, that we'd go anywhere. And I was doing one with Dusty Hill with ZZ Top, who is one of the most incredible human beings. We were uh, doing the PSA and he goes, I love help veterans. What the hell is this one? And I said, you know, uh, you know, told him, he said, will you help me start this down in Houston for the Houston mm. veterans? Sure, if you're serious. And as a comedian, um, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of the celebrities and, and it, it's just a job, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like, you know, if you look at, you know, you coming in, doing the podcast, it's just a job. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to go home. Same thing with them. They come in, they sing a little bit and, and then they go home. Uh, and, and so they're the same as us. I've had many times where, you know, you'd tell me about something, not you, but somebody tell me about something on Friday and I'd be like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm going to look into it next week, but forget about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but when we look at others who do it, we're like, oh, they're assholes. Right. So, but it's not true. You know, they're, everybody's human. So, but with Dusty, I just figured he was human mm-hmm. and what didn't pay it any mind. And, and then his beautiful wife, Chucky, she calls and says, Hey, no, he's serious. Three days later, and and okay, so they flew me down. We convened a group of people. I created an online system that lets the VA in any funded area request the funds. We send the check to the landlord same day, same program. Easy peasy, right? Wow. So he flies me down. We convene a group, and it was in 2013. Um, to date, that group has raised almost 700,000 and housed 1,300 Houston area veterans. Um, Just and then Houston, did the same. Wow. I'm sorry. Yeah, in that that region, that Houston region. And then John Mellencamp did the same thing for Indiana. And then in Michigan, Mitch Album, which is another God oh, yeah. story I'll share in a minute, but along with uh, uh, some money raised by Kid, Katy Perry and Kid Rock, we opened up Michigan and the thing really started taking off. 
2015, I was working on, on both running my business and uh, housing homeless veterans, you know, growing a program, and they were both full-time jobs. And, and you know, you, you go back to confidence, it's not really confidence, it's awareness, where I knew I'm not Superman. I can't do two things well. I just, I don't have the capacity. There may be people out there that do, mm-hmm. but I don't. If I try to do them both like this, they're both going to be done half-assed, and one of them will fail, or both, who knows? So I, I had to make a choice, one or the other. I couldn't do both. So, you know, I did the usual, hey, God, what do you want me to do? My will would be like, you know, I enjoy going to Hawaii. I enjoy His will is no focus on helping the homeless veterans. I, I, so I had a choice. I chose God's will and, and have been working full time uh, in housing uh, homeless veterans, getting to meet the greatest people, like I said earlier. And today we've housed, uh, because of, of uh, the people who give a shit about homeless veterans, we've housed over 4,000 veterans now in 25 states nationwide. And what I recognized, and 98% of the veterans we house don't even know it's us who've housed them. Hmm. The VA lets us know when they have the veterans in need, right? It's, it's sort of like magic to them. The money appears with the landlord and they get housed. And, and that's how it works. And it's long-term permanent housing. And, and they get case management, which gives the program a 91% success rate keeping them housed. We've now done that one at a time, 4,000 times. But what I recognize is we, Veterans Matter, haven't done anything, really. Hmm. We created a system that allows you, the donor, to house a homeless veteran. That is the simplicity of it. It really is all that simple. Um, And that's what it goes back to. But the original point of getting pissed off, that's Hmm. what created where I am right now. You know, I got sober. I got pissed off. I mean, just all of these things uh, um, as a result of me being pissed off. And, and knowing what I was called to do as a result. I love it. I think we're all the same. I don't think I'm, I think, you know, you and I and everybody else, I think we're all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, we all do the same stuff as that's how, that's what creates our normals. I agree. But I think something to follow up that with is we know that, but I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about it. We're, we're very judgy people. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and, uh, and uh, it, it, talking about your normal uh, automatically. I mean, it, in preparation for this podcast, uh, Super, well, what are you going to call your podcast? And I said, this is your normal. Oh, <laughs> they just cast me as this very normal, basic person. Um, right. Yeah. But it's but it's th- those people don't really know. They don't take the time to get to know who I am or where I come from or anything like that. So that's, that's why I said, well, that just pursues me more to continue on with this normal podcast. (laughs) You're casting your mold of your version of normal. And I'm willing to go ahead and, you know, share some things about myself and pay attention to what other people are molding as their normal, because I think it's important. Right. But here's the here's the thing about normal is is we always create our new normal. Right. In this case, right now in 2020, the pandemic has created us, forced us to create a a new normal like like Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. Right. After this, that's the new normal for me. I'll be able to reduce my travel 50 percent because I'll be able to meet with people via Zoom. And that's that's really a wonderful tool that will become my new normal. That was that. But that's fostered on us. Sometimes our new normal comes as a result of external forces. Mm-hmm. 
But most of the time it comes from internal forces, what becomes our new normal. If you look at, at a chronically homeless veteran, right? Living on the streets, addicted to drugs or alcohol, being uh, mentally ill, you know, you experienced something in Vietnam that was so bad and then you came back to America and it still chased you, right? So you started drinking and, and, and maybe drugging and then your family says, no way, that's enough because you know, you're still angry at what you saw and the fact that you can't deal with what you are and that's your new normal, right? And then you keep running from it and you end up on the streets. Mm -hmm. And now you've been on the streets for three years. That's your new normal. Um, we've had veterans that we've housed that had their normal of, of being out in the woods camping in their tent so long that when we did house him, he set up a tent in his living room and that's where he slept. My goodness. Because that had become his new normal. So we create our new normals and, and follow those. And we can change the norm. Um, if, if you look at the world now, the new normal is the technology, you know, that's evolved. We have phones every day. We didn't used to, no. you know, we, we, we used to be able to, you know, I'm, I'm 60 years old, 63, right? So I go way back in the way back machine and we used to be able to do deals just on a handshake. Mm -hmm. There was no contracts that, you know, for a lot of the things that you did, you just go, okay, we'll do that. And it got done. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the old normal. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and I think you know the only way we can recognize the new normal is by looking at what the old normal, is. and then oftentimes what we realize is 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 rarely is the new normal an advancement. Mm. Um, usually, it's some sort of, and maybe not usually. I don't know. I just said that I haven't thought it out, but but you know perhaps in in what I see, you know, in a knee jerk reaction. I mean, like look at look at food packaging. You know, Twinkies used to be like, you know, six inches or something mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, three, four inches round. Yeah. And now they've yeah. shrunk down into four inches, you know, two inches round. Yeah. But I the know. price has gone up, but people are used to this new normal. It was an incremental change. Incremental and, change. And, that's, a, that's extremely significant, the incremental change. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, everybody's heard the, uh, the analogy of uh, you know turning up the heat in the frog, <laughs> you know, boiling yeah, the, yeah, the frog yeah. on fire. It's like, ow! And I, well, I think that's one of the hardest things that people have had to dealt deal with this year is there was no incremental change. Oh yeah, good you point. Know, good point. We just kind of were all slapped in the face with, boom! Here's this pandemic. Here's what's going on. Whatever anybody's belief is, you're affected by it. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, and it, it was Absolutely. it was just something nobody nobody chose to have this uh, virus come through the world. Uh, some people have dealt with it one way, some the other, you know, so that incremental right. change is missing in our lives. And it's just not as easy to deal with. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like you said earlier, you, you point out that it was just rust on you, man. So right there, if you look at humanity, you've got people saying masks, you've got people saying non-masks. You know, what are the boundaries? Does either side have a boundary? You know, when will the maskers say, you know, it looks like it's okay not to wear a mask. And then the non-maskers, when are they going to say, I, well, I probably should wear a mask. Where's that boundary where how many people, you know, if it does go, how many people have to die or do they have to be close or do I have to get it to be able to start wearing a mask or what is it? There's no boundaries on, on each side. And, and I think that's another, another problem that a lot of us have. And, and you know, it, getting into a lot of the relationships that I see, particularly, you know, ones that are having difficulties, domestic relationships that are, that are negative, 
you know, if you have boundaries, how far you'll allow somebody to go, then, then you'll know when, when they've gone over that path. And I think a lot of the problems that we have personally, uh, for a lot of the people that I know, and was for me as well, was the fact that there were no boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up with no boundaries. You know, any boundary I tried to have got invaded somehow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, you learn there are no boundaries because they're invaded. Other, other kids are grown up in, in environments where they understand that they're boundaries and boundaries have been set and people honor those boundaries. And if they're violated, you know, that, that, that child's able to stand up and talk about it. That adult's able to stand up and talk about it because they haven't defined, they know the boundaries. That is very important. I'll be honest with you. I didn't really learn about boundaries until I was in my mid twenties. <laughs> Yeah. It was the first conversation I had ever had. I was probably about 25 or 26 years old and uh, somebody had a conversation about setting boundaries and I was clueless. Nobody had ever mentioned that. Uh, maybe they did. I just didn't listen or whatever, but that was the first concrete conversation I ever had when I was about How 25, 26. How'd they explain it to you? Uh, I, we'll, we'll do it in the simplest terms. It was... Um, basically helping somebody move. I didn't want to, somebody asked me, you know, will you, Hey, can you help me move this weekend? And I was kind of frightened about it because it seems like every time somebody asked me to help me to move, it's like a one or two day process. And I have a larger stature, you know, I'm a bigger guy. So people think I can lift refrigerators up and washers and dryers and all this. And I'm just kind of frightened, man. I just, I, I like to help people, but I, I don't want to have to move the whole entire house. And they said, well, set a boundary. And I said, well, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they said, well, tell them that uh, you don't move refrigerators, washers or dryers, and you will help them for two hours and then you have to go. And I said, well, that's lying. And they said, no, that's setting a boundary. That's, that's allowing yourself to, to help somebody and protect yourself at the same time. I love that. I, I just, I, I really love that. That is really good. Yeah. And, and I still struggle with it today, <laughs> but, but that was the first time that I had ever really learned about what a boundary is and to, when you are helping somebody, which I think we all have a, a gene inside of us that drives us to help the other person. Right, right. But sometimes helping the other person is, it's going to affect you. So I have to learn, okay, like I'm not helping anybody if I'm angry Why, I'm, you know, if you ask me to help you move and I'm angry because you asked me to move your refrigerator, you know, I'm not really helping you. You're already stressed in this situation. Bullshit, man. As long as you get the refrigerator, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, you get what I'm saying. You, you, don't, you don't want somebody coming to help you move with a bad attitude and they're complaining about things the whole entire time. And, right, and right. you're worried about this brand new change that's in your life and everything else. That's, that's not a healthy relationship. Right. Yeah. And that's when I started to really think about, whoa, wait a second. There's a two-way street. Interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is, um, that's, uh, that's really, I really, that's really deep. And, and I really like that. That's a really good example of, of it's okay for us to do it. And, and I have that same conflict of, I feel bad if I, you know, 
don't do it all the way or whatever it is without yeah i it, it's guilt. it's there is a level of guilt because it's like well you know i really could be doing more but by doing more i become resentful i want to have a healthy you you and i and i don't want to introduce that resent right yeah you know, yeah, so I where, can we, where can we meet where you don't have resentments and I don't have resentments and we can work together? Right, right. You know, it's really, you know, this this brings back my, my grandmother and grandfather. You know, they were made a long time and I'm like, well, what's the secret? And they said, never give 100%. <laughs> that's and, interesting. And everybody, yeah. you know, talks about giving 100%. I go, what? Because that's that was inconceivable. You know, you, you love somebody, you give them 100%. Mm-hmm. Go, no, give them 90. That way you've always got 10% for you. Hmm. You never lose yourself. You've always got something. That's important. Give them 90% is fine. You know, I, I've got boundaries within the work that I do and the service that I do. Uh, uh, my wife and I, you know, won't take anybody into our home. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and not, I'm not talking about homeless. I'm just talking about, you know, anywhere because we've established that as a boundary for us, you know, and, and you have to have the and it, it, you know, ha- knowing what they are, uh, and, and people can cross them once in a while. There's, there's no perfection. I think that's the, that's another thing that people do is, is they insist on perfection. You do something once, right? And I'm like, oh, people go crazy. But what I, what I've learned in, in really looking at it, is, and in, in managing my business, I, 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 is a good way to explain it to people. And if I have an employee that does something wrong, right? It, so, you know, people do stuff. It's yeah. okay, right? I'm not going to, you know, we make and I'm not talking about anything major. Yeah. I'm not talking about like killing a supervisor or something. Yeah. Oh. yeah but but <laughs> if they do it a second time, then it's like, oh, you know, that might be, there might be a trend. So, you know, hey, Bob, just want to let you know I saw this and blah, blah, blah. And it happened a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And, and I want you to, you know, just be aware of it. And then, but if you do something the third time after that, that tells me either you don't want to or you're incapable of changing that. And that's when I can start addressing it in whatever ways need to be addressed. So it's, it's, you know, we expect more out of people. Well, no, maybe that's not true. Maybe we expect as much out of people as we expect out of ourselves where we have to be perfect. And that's, I really like that. I've never thought that before, but that it's the same thing for us. We should allow ourselves the freedom to, you know, one, Mm -hmm. two, three, I'm going to write that shit down, man. I like, I like that. Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, you're welcome. Tell, tell me again what you're writing down once you got it. Um, so, I, I mean, I've always talked about the example of one, two, three, where, you know, if you make a mistake, you know, it's, you know, whatever, right? It's okay. People make mistakes unless it's something really that impacts you somehow, um, which is a different way that thing you got to manage if it impacts you like that. But, but if it's just a mistake that somebody makes, it's all right. If it happens a second time, then you're like, hey, you know, just want to let you know this, this happened. I just wanted you to be aware of it. And then if it happens a third time, then either you got to start thinking that they either don't want to or they can't do whatever it is. And you start addressing it at that issue. You know, if it's you know, whether it's retraining, make sure they get training, uh, further education or on a path determination, depending on, on how vital it is to the organization, that skill set. Um, and, and the profound part was putting that within myself. You know, I'm, I, nobody, nobody can say things about me worse than what I say to myself about me. Mm-hmm. 
So, so it allows me to go, Ooh, I made a mistake instead of beating myself up for that mistake, which, you know, if you grew up in an environment where if you make a mistake, you're, you're, um, you're, you're slammed, right? Mm -hmm. you, if you grow up in that environment now, internally, every time you make a mistake, you're, I, I was, I am frequently, you know, slamming myself mm -hmm. in some way. You know, I'm bad. I did this or that. Mm -hmm. Where now inside, I'm going to go, <laughs> dude, <laughs> if it happens the second time, then I'm like, dude, mm -hmm. if it happens a third time, you know, because I'm letting myself go, giving my permission to, to make mistakes. So that's what I wrote down is you've unleashed me in this conversation to be able to think like that and, and give me a little bit of peace in making mistakes, which we all do. Absolutely. All day, yeah, every both, day. <laughs> yeah, both times I made mistakes. I mean, I just. <laughs> well, let me ask you, uh, I think we've, we've got a lot of content here and it's all beautiful and it's everything that I was looking for uh, in conversation with you. So I really appreciate that. Um, do you have anything that you would like to follow up on or add before we take off? You know, I, I'll, I'll just go back to, you know, the, whatever decisions you have to make, um, you have to think of how it impacts others. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm, I think I'm, right now I'm going back to that mask topic. Okay. Just because, they, you know, I've, I've had friends die from that. Um, and there's a lot of people who don't think it's real. Think, you know, it, it is real. The question I, is how I, are you? I, I admitted in my other podcast, I had COVID. Oh, you did? Yeah. It took, it took me out um, the whole, basically the whole month of November. Um, so I'm recovered. Um, it was a roller coaster ride, but I, I'm, I'm one of the, one of the many who've, uh, fared well, fortunately, I think it's due to my young age. Does your audience know you're a firefighter? And, uh, uh first, nope. first time it's come up. Um, okay. so we'll, we can talk about that real briefly and we'll get back to you. Um, so, uh, yes, I am a firefighter paramedic for the city of Toledo and, um, I'm, I love it. It's, it's, it's an amazing career choice, but I, I think I stay away from telling people, and this is a common thing because they instantly think of Chicago fire, the TV show or the movie backdraft. And then they typecast us as we're one of those characters that they think we're related to. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and then all of a sudden what, <laughs> what my normal is now all of a sudden becomes whatever that character is in that show and that's and that's just what they go with. That's that's my experience. That's what you think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is what I think. <laughs> amongst amongst others, it's 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 right, right, one of those right. things. So, so, Sometimes people say, "Oh, I just work for the city. I work for the city." But 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 so and and you're, you can do it any way you want. But I want to deal. Go back to the what do you think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because when I think I when I go in a room, I think everybody hates me. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, I've never seen any of those shows, so mm -hmm. I don't do it either. So, I mean, when you assume it, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, if you want to have some fun with it, go, hey, have you seen Backdraft? Yeah, I'm one of those. You know, that way you're, you're, you're enlightening. It. But what do you think? And I think that's what we have to go back is what do we think about what do we think? What do we but, think? Yeah, I mean, we could keep going for. We I could, think. we could. Um, so, yes. Yes, that's it. Um, I'm sure that was a byproduct of my main career choice, um, being a firefighter paramedic. I mean, I'm knee deep in in COVID. Uh, 
which has been difficult because my experience is very different than I think what the majority of the people in the United States um, are experienced with. So once again, I find myself uh, wanting to, on that, somewhat keep my opinion to myself. Um, Just, you know, my experience is what it is. Um, I work with it, at it, (laughs) you know. But you're able to see the impact that it has on others. I mean, you're able to, as a paramedic, you're, you know, you, you see the damage that it can cause. And the Greatly. I, I so, see it. I see the fear in people's faces, you know? I, yeah. Yeah. When they're, when they've had it, they know they have it and they're calling us because they're, they're struggling beyond what they can handle. And we walk in and they're fearful for us to come into their house and they're fearer that they're going to die. That's my experience. It's, it's hard for me to listen to the non-believers, but yet their experience is making them a non-believer. So I, it's, it's like, it's, it's just a tough situation to be in. I've talked about it with a few friends where I don't, I don't know what to think. I, I just try to focus on what's within my reach, my immediate family, uh, my my loved ones, my relatives, my close friends, and I I try to do the best to protect them, inform them, and that's about all I can do. Right, you know, early on, I mean, I thought it was you know, America has a tendency to over exaggerate things, so mm-hmm. you know that that is a perception that I would have is is it's probably the same case here. Yeah. Until I had a friend die. Um, until I had a veteran friend of mine get it in March and he's still suffering from it. Still, I mean, he's, he's out of the hospital mm-hmm. um, as a veteran. He's out of the hospital, but, but even as far as he's got to get oxygen to be able to, to walk across the room. Still. Yeah. So seeing that damage um, and, and it's, it's it, to, to think that I have the possibility of giving that to somebody that I love. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife, my friends, or anybody else is unbearable to me. And, and so that early on caused me to, to start wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a conviction that came. You know, you, earlier I talked about where your boundaries are, right? What are your yeah. boundaries? Well, if I hit mine, you know, when you see it and it's real and it's there. I don't, I don't need somebody, you know, I don't need my wife to die from, from it to, to start wearing a mask. Right. Wow, you've turned this into <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, you were talking about the mask to begin with, uh, so we kind of went back there. Is did you get out what you needed to with the mask and boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, did I did I talk about what? Uh, what, what do you ask? Yeah, well, we were kind of talking about in closing, and then you were saying, "Well, I'm going to go back to the mask," and then we kind of talked about my experience with COVID and. Okay. I hear you know, I'm done, man. I got no, okay. more. I'm empty. Man. I, I know nothing else. I mean, you now have all of my wisdom. Wow. Uh, good. I hope <laughs> this recorded. Hey, let's check. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, I didn't hit record. No, I did. I did. I did. They'll, they'll play this at my funeral. So make sure you save it. <laughs> really? Okay. All right. I will play this and uh, we'll go up and give a eulogy and say here, here lies Ken Leslie. Hello, my name is Bob Ohms and thank you for listening to this is your normal. <laughs> They're, they're gonna think I was the rudest guy ever. Is this guy plugging his own podcast at Ken Leslie's funeral? <laughs> Who is this guy? 
So, all right. Well, thank well, you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And, and, and you know, I, I like the normal that you are to me. Thank you. Um, and, and I appreciate you and your desire to try to help other people see their normal. I appreciate that, Ken. Uh, it's very kind of you to say that. And uh, don't be surprised if uh, on my own, I just start calling you and, uh, hey, Ken. Uh, Feel free, man. Always. Always. Man. That's what friends do. Absolutely. So, and, and your time is very valuable. I know that. Uh, you, oh, had the, you had that. You had yep. emails and mail people coming in. Um, so, oh, shut up. Never, right. you know, never. Never. I don't think anybody's too busy for that. And if you are, I mean, you know, there, I mean, I can imagine if there was, you know, something life and death going on, I'd say, Bob, I've got to call you back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, short of that. Absolutely. That's what we owe each other as humans. Is time. Yeah. And I that's think... all I have. Absolutely. We're out of time. Sounds good. <laughs> We're out of time. Thank you so much, Ken Leslie. I'll be all in right, contact. Man. Appreciate it. All right. Bye. In closing, Ken contacted me afterwards and wanted me to make sure I told people, quote, he does not think he is right on any of this. This is his operating thesis right now. Your mileage may vary, end quote. What I do know Ken is right about is his mission. Please support onematters.org. That's the number one, M-A-T-T-E-R-S dot O-R-G, onematters.org, or visit veteransmatter.org to learn more. I believe it is important to remember every day at least one person will be going through a hardship. If you find yourself as one of those people, please know There are numerous people like Ken and I who believe everyone matters. And when you feel you matter to no one, go matter to someone. Thank you for listening to This Is Your Normal.